Hello, and welcome back to the Celtics Live podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm your host for today, Cameron Tevitabai, joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. And today we have a special guest from St. Bonaventure, ESPN's own Tim Bontemps. Tim, how are you? I'm doing well. I like the intro. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, uh, I listen to the Hoop Collective. I know it's a big part of your life. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Alex, Justin, how are you? Doing well. Glad to have you here, Tim. Uh, real pleasure. I'm also a big Hoop Collective guy, and I've particularly enjoyed you getting combative with Brian Windhorst. I think he needs to be taken back. <laughs> so, I'm doing okay. I'm glad to hear it. It's a fun pod. Those are two, two Tim and Brian are two of my best friends, so it's a, one of my favorite hours of the week, every week, so it's pretty fun. Well, maybe this will be your second favorite hour. There you go. No, this will be fun. I'm glad you guys invited me. I'm excited to do it. Of course. JQ, how's Mexico? Uh, full of pine pollen, so if you hear me hacking a lung out, it's probably not COVID, but I'm going to be getting tested just the same because it's the responsible thing to do. Oh, love that for you. So, Bontemps, you're here to talk specifically about what's problematic for the Celtics, and we're going to get to that in the lab portion of the programming. But first, we're going to do the news, and we have to start with Sam Jones, uh, who passed recently. Bontemps, I'll go to you first. You wrote a, a really nice obit for ESPN about uh, Mr. Jones. And then, Justin, I'll go to you because you're a resident historian. But Bontemps, what passed through your mind as a Hoops fan? And was there anything you learned in kind of putting together that obituary that that was really powerful? Well, just not to take credit for it, I didn't actually write that. We, somebody Oof. at our place. No, it's, it's all good. I tweeted it out. Somebody at our place. I offered to write one that morning. And uh, they had already had one prepared. I don't know if Jackie oh, mastered it before she left or like. At places, at big newspapers sure. or places like that, you do a lot of that stuff ahead of time. When yeah. I was at the New York Post and the Washington Post, I did a bunch of pre-writes on obits, which are always kind of a weird yeah, thing I to imagine. do to write about somebody before they pass away. But, um, but no, listen, I mean, Sam Jones is, you know, one of the true great champions in, um, in basketball history, right? You go back through his career. I mean, they're, you know, he and Bill Russell are, you know, tied at the hip and, um, you know, the, the way those guys both carried themselves on and off the court throughout their lives is a testament to them. And, you know, the way they played, um, you know, Sam Jones, his game, you know, would probably translate to really any era with kind of the way yeah. he played um, on the court. He's, you know, he, and he was a huge part of why those teams were so successful. I mean, obviously Bill Russell is the name everybody knows from those teams, but if you're a guy who was on the, uh, the 25th anniversary NBA team, the 50th anniversary NBA team and the 75th anniversary NBA team. I think it's a pretty good indication of your longevity in the sport and your, um, your talent. And so, yeah, it's obviously with Tommy Heinsohn passing a few months ago and Casey Jones passing a few months ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I was talking to Jeff twist a long time PR guy for the Celtics and, you know, the Celtics have so many great teams from the past. Well, now we're unfortunately sort of getting to the point where, a lot of the people from those eras are starting to pass on and it's both a good chance to reflect on just how great those teams were, but it's also sad because you have a lot of pretty interesting and cool people who unfortunately aren't with us anymore. True. Very true. Justin, you dig deep on all sorts of Celtics history stuff. Where do you put uh, Jones and kind of the pantheon of great Celtics on and off the court? Probably uh, the most criminally underrated player from that era I mean, he has 10 titles to his name, which is something that has only been feat, uh, matched by a, as a player, as a feat uh, by Bill Russell. And, you know, that's his teammate. So 
He was always very quick to remind people, and he probably should have hired a PR agency because he really does deserve to be in our conversations about the, the greatest players to play the game. Maybe he doesn't have, you know, the flashiest skill set. Uh, I think the bank shot is pretty rad, but it has not really uh, kept the same kind of currency it has had over the years. But I think the biggest thing, and I, I never had a chance to meet him, obviously, um, even being one of the elder people on this call. But one of the things that has stuck out to me in people recounting his loss was just how good of a person he was, even beyond yeah. what he did as a basketball player. Yeah, a lot of work in the D.C. public school system that really wasn't, to your point, you know, he didn't have a, a big ego or publicist or anything like that. I mean, he did a lot of really cool stuff pretty quietly. Um, Alex, anything you wanted to add before we, we talk about current Celtics? Just that, you know, I haven't spent a whole lot of time watching or thinking about Sam Jones' career, but I have watched some old highlight footage and mm -hmm. it definitely validates everything that's been said about whether he would be able to make it in today's league. A lot of the moves, the handle, uh, his shooting, his general kind of court awareness and presence, like Sam would absolutely be a top tier player in any era of the game. And that becomes pretty apparent once you look at the footage. So you know, rest in peace, living legend. Uh, he, he's a huge part of the Celtics franchise, and uh, I'm hoping that they will take some time to honor him throughout the course of the year. I'm sure they will. And the other thing that's worth pointing out is, you know, he and Bill Russell and those guys from the 60s in particular had to go through a whole bunch of stuff off the court that, you know, only enhances what they were able to do on it. Um, which to your point about his character, I mean, he, he went on to be a substitute teacher for, you know, decades, right? I mean, he was just mm -hmm. sort of a a regular guy who did a lot of stuff on and off the court. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine what those guys went through back in the, you know, the late fifties and sixties, not only trying to play, but dealing with all the racism and other stuff they had to off the court. I mean, it's just, it, it's a true testament to their perseverance that, you know, those guys were able to light of all Yeah, for sure. I mean, anyone, next time you get the garden, and you look up at that number 24, any of the other retired numbers, Bontemps, to your point, I mean, yeah, they played they played good hoops, but they did a lot more besides that. All right, let's talk about the current Celtics. Since we talked last, uh, they lost to the Clippers in a big way. They beat the Suns in a big way. And I guess they beat Orlando in a big way. If, I mean, Jalen's 50-point game was pretty cool. So fourth Celtic ever to drop 50 and 10 in a game, seventh ever to drop 50 in a game. Bontemps, were you in-house? I was at the game. Yes. What was the mood? I mean, it, I'll tell you straight away. It seemed like the mood was not very good to start most of that game. Yeah, it was a strange game because it looked like the Celtics are on their way to a third straight, absolutely catastrophic loss in a week. And then in the final four minutes of regulation, the game totally flipped around. Right. And like it went from being a totally disastrous loss to a, I guess, feel good win sort of right. <laughs> like it's just, it, it sort of encapsulates their entire season in that they've been all over the place. And in the end, they've just been ultimately kind of mediocre. And that game was sort of emblematic of that, right? They start off pretty well. They're terrible for basically two and a half quarters. Then they have a crazy finish and they end up barely beating a pretty awful and depleted Orlando team. And even though the Celtics have some guys out, that should not have been a, you know, game that they were losing by 15 with four minutes to go at home. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, they're, 
they remain a confusing and interesting team. And I would say that, you know, 53 minutes on Sunday was a pretty good um, example of that from start to finish. So Justin and Alex, I'm going to ask you this. What's a bigger deal, Jalen's 50-point game or Rob Williams' triple-double? Uh, I can start off by saying that, oh, man, you know, I thought I had an answer, but now that I think about it, it's actually a little bit tougher because Jalen, Jalen's 50-point game was immaculate. It was a really impressive win, and I think um, it validates all of kind of my hesitancy to break up Jalen and Jason. I think that those guys should be part of the team's future long-term. So to see that from Jalen was definitely nice, kind of reassuring for that. That being said, I think I, if I had to pick one, I would actually lean towards Rob's triple-double uh, because I think that with Jalen, the scoring has been steadily ticking up for years now, and you get the sense that 50 is within his grasp. He's had some high 40 point games before. That's the kind of thing that um, when you need a killer performance, the Celtics should be turning to Jalen Brown. But to see Rob emerge from that Phoenix game with a triple double and admittedly with DeAndre Ayton out, which is a fairly important caveat, but to see him be that involved in the offense, particularly in passing and setting up his teammates to kind of succeed off of uh, cuts from, you know, the elbows and the wings. I think that offers an avenue for long-term development, not only for Rob, but for the Celtics entire offense that I think is really worth exploring and kind of diving into more. I really like the idea of Rob operating as a kind of point center facilitator at times. So I would lean that one. I, I wouldn't disagree. In fact, uh, Seeing as Jalen has scored 46 points, I think was his previous career high. 52 more buckets was not exactly, particularly in an overtime period, not that sure. uh, much of a surprise. But to to see Time Lord uh, being so effective in that role, uh, moving with the ball, like actually having a functional handle, it's very exciting stuff. Yeah, 50 is a, a nice round number, and it's always fun, and it's fun to watch the game and track the game on Twitter, but it is kind of a random number, all things considered. So I probably agree. Let's um let's breeze through the rest of the news. And just to recap, I mean, we we talked, it feels like many, many weeks ago, the beginning of December, the beginning of the holiday season, that the stretch for the Celtics looked terrible. And since about the beginning of December, the Celtics went six and nine, I think, if I have that right, which is yeah. not not crazy bad, I don't think. So Bontemps, correct me if I'm wrong. That's not crazy bad, all things No, concerned. no. I think if you so if you told me at the start of the month when they're the Celtics going into a month where they played 15 games where at the start of December every team had a 500 or better record, they were going to be 6 and 9, I would have said that's totally fine. Um I thought they could have gone 3 and 12. And you know, look, they got lucky in some of those games and that they played a bunch of teams where they were decimated with COVID and stuff, right? Like Cleveland was down a ton of guys. Uh Portland was down a ton of guys. Um but at the end of the day, they won six and twelve, or six and fifteen, and that was enough. They just had to be, um, they just had to get through it. Now, annually turn around and get back that Orlando game would have been pretty bad. And obviously, you could go back to the end of that month, and if you get that Clipper game, which you certainly could have gotten, and the Minnesota game, which you certainly could have gotten, then you're eight and seven. Then you're you know, you're probably doing handstands if you are over five hundred. But still, given how difficult that schedule was to come out of it with a, a mediocre showing record wise, I think it's more than good enough. So long as the Celtics come back here in 
January when the schedule gets a lot softer and actually take care of business, which as we all know, they have not necessarily shown a willingness or capability to do on a consistent basis. Yeah, we're gonna to get to that. Justin, what's your reaction? For me, one of the things, so on one hand, we were talking earlier about seeing Jalen Brown closing out the Orlando game, and that was really great to see. It's the bad teams that seem to give the Celtics the most trouble. And I just think like, what motivates this team? How do we find a way, we uh, we are on the coaching staff, um, how can they find a way to motivate this team to be more consistent? I think that's gonna be the real test for January because honestly, there are probably as many or more games this month that the Celtics have historically had trouble dealing with just because they come into it, not really playing up to their opponent with a level of, of focus and coherence that is necessary to put them away. Yeah, I said as much on Twitter today. I think it'll be great if the Celtics play well in January, but counterintuitively, I don't. I still don't know if it will mean anything because tonight against the Spurs, and this will come out after that game, so who knows what will happen. I think it will be the ninth time that the Celtics starters actually start a game together. So we just want for important, meaningful data, and I don't, know if January will give us that, even if it is a few more wins than we're used to for the Celtics team. All right, uh, just a couple of other isolated bits of news. Uh, speaking of isolated, Iso Joe, no more Joe Johnson in Boston, but maybe he will continue to play in the NBA. That was fun. It also feels like a lifetime ago. Rajan Rondo went to the Cavs. So unless you're a really sore Celtics fan, we can kind of root for Rondo again. Very wonderful. Tremont Waters to the Wizards. Uh, also Greg Monroe to the Wizards, I believe. So that's fun. Our old friends shining in nice cities, I suppose. Cleveland's okay. Anyways, uh, the last piece of COVID news, the Celtics game against the Pelicans on the 29th was moved to 7 p.m. because, you know, there's a lot of adjusting the rosters, adjusting the schedule, adjusting arena appointments, all that jazz. And if you are planning on placing a few bets on that game or any other upcoming Celtics games, check out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline has you covered this January with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the college bowl season and pro football playoffs. Alex, our resident Titans fan, uh, if you were going to place a bet, what would you uh, possibly be eyeing? Well, I'm looking at betonline.ag for all of my odds needs to get a sense of what's coming up for my Tennessee Titans as they take on the Houston Texans with the number one seed in the AFC on the line. Right now, the Titans are getting a line of minus 10.5, and I am going to hammer that line. I think that the Titans can beat Houston by 17 points or more. So I'm taking that. That's going to be my bet online bet of the week. And if you want any more bets, we have odds for the Celtics game against the Spurs tonight. Odds will be posted for the Celtics Knicks game coming up, along with Celtics Pelicans on January 29th. There's all sorts of bets that you can make for your favorite teams. Props, uh, over under, money line, you name it. It's all there on betonline.ag. Yeah, and if you head to their website or use your, your mobile device and use the promo code CLN, CLNS50, receive 50% off your first deposit. So the promo code CLNS50, 50% off your first bet, betonline.ag, where the game starts. So, and for whatever it's worth, I think we could beat the Texans. 
Anyways, Bontemps, uh, I have a few questions for you, and then we're going to do our lab portion of the programming. This is Sounds partially great. stuff from the Hoop Collective, some other stuff that I was curious about. You recently teased that the Celtics either could or should be interested in the Celtics. Can you tell us about any meaningful chatter, your position on that, and then maybe just Ben Simmons chatter more broadly? Oh, you said the Celtics should be interested in the Celtics, so I wasn't sure. Oh. I should hope so. I, yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was waiting to see. I was waiting to see what you did. So you met me mentioned in the Ben Simmons thing on the pod. Yeah. So to be clear, I was not saying the Celtics have talked to the Sixers about Ben Simmons or that that's a thing that is happening. What I said was, if I was running the Celtics, what I would be trying to do is I'd be calling Daryl Morey every day and saying, I'm not trading Jalen Brown, I'm not trading Jason Tatum. Is there any combination of everything else that I have that could get me Ben Simmons? And mm-hmm. I understand people's hesitancy about trading for Ben, given the situation that's gone on there, given his lack of shooting, given the way uh, last year's playoffs went, et cetera. But if you look at where the Celtics are at, and this is, I, you know, I wrote about this a few weeks ago, the Celtics had one of the best teams in the league for several years, right? And over time, they've had players leaving free agency. They've had just the normal, normal talent attrition that comes with being an elite team for several years. Just everything goes in cycles, right? The difference is the Celtics have two of the best young wing players in the league on their team. So rather than bottoming them out, they're kind of back down to just being okay. Mm -hmm. And getting back from okay to really good is going to be hard. They don't have cap space. They don't have a ton of premium draft assets. They've had some bad luck and misses, you know, in the draft lately. Um, So in order to get back to that level, I think you have to be pretty creative and pretty aggressive when you see an opportunity. And to me, when you look at the Celtics, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into their issues, but I don't think they play fast enough. I don't think they move the ball well enough on offense. I don't think they get enough easy shots. Ben Simmons solves all of those problems. And if you have Ben Simmons out there with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, say Grant Williams at power forward and Al Horford at center, that's a team that's big across the board, can switch one to five, has shooters at every other position. It should be tailor-made to Ben's skill set. And you also have a team where he doesn't have to be the face or even the secondary face of the team because you have the two wing players still. So I think it was Alex who said earlier that he wouldn't trade either of those guys. I definitely don't think the Celtics should trade either of those guys. I don't think that, you know, moving one of them for a variety of other pieces is going to solve the problem here, right? Everybody's trying to find two-way young wing players like these guys. And yes, they have flaws. They're not perfect. I think in some ways they might both be a little overrated, but they're both really good and really young. And the goal should be to get a third guy to play with them and give yourself a chance to be an elite team again, not, Hey, we've got to break them up because they're not the best fit together, et cetera. I just think that ultimately um, isn't going to work. And whether it's Ben or some other thing, I think the Celtics have to be aggressive and creative in trying to find that guy. And given everything that's going on with Ben Simmons, he's a player of a talent level that you probably should be able to get with the assets that the Celtics have that might actually be gettable because his value isn't where it should be because of everything else that's going on around him. When you say that, are you implying that Rob Williams and a a package of draft assets is that valuable or that the Ben Simmons trade market is that dry right now? I would say a combination of the two, right? Like Mm -hmm. look at the James Harden trade last year. What did the Nets trade? They essentially traded Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and seven first round picks, right? Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, and, seven first round picks is more or less the same. Now I'm not saying that the Celtics would necessarily trade all of that for Ben, but like that's 
that's, you know, a similar package that got them James Harden. So I, I think, I don't think the Celtics can win a bidding war for Ben Simmons. If there was 10 teams that were flat out trying to get him. I'm also not sure what the market is for Ben Simmons. Like he, there's not a lot of teams that need a point guard. There's obviously some questions about his fit with different teams. Um, there's also the question of what the Sixers want in a trade. Like it's, it's a very complicated thing. And I would say there's little chance of it actually happening, right. but it's just sort of the exam. It's sort of the, the obvious example of if I was the Celtics, I would look at like what Chicago did this off season. Not that I think Chicago has a championship ceiling, but they were pretty creative in getting Lonzo. They get Alex Caruso. They get some connectors around their guys that hold the ball a lot. So they move the ball. Well, they have guys that guard around them that don't need the ball. That's the kind of stuff I'd be looking for to surround the two young guys with. Um, as opposed to the current roster they have, which I don't think is a great fit around them, which is why their offense is struggling and why the team is, you know, hovering around 500 again. So uh, Justin, you want to hop in? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm really glad to hear someone else say that because that's been my <laughs> biggest bone to pick for a while as these guys uh, are all too familiar with just the, the, the idea that you can have two finishers as your focal points and then not have someone setting them up just seems absurd to me. So I really think, and we're going to talk about this more, I'm sure, that needs to be a point of emphasis at the trade deadline. Yeah, I, if you look at the Celtics, and I'm sure we'll get into it, there are five best perimeter players, you know, or there are five veteran perimeter players who play. The two young guys, Marcus, Dennis Schroeder, and uh, Josh Richardson, they're all guys that are dribble and shoot first guys, generally, right? Yeah. They don't have guys that are pass first guys. And they're two big guys, Al Horford and Robert Williams, might be the two best passers on the team. So that's not and, – and look, like people hear that and think it's some condemnation of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's not really. Like, they, they don't have to be perfect at everything. Um, but if you have them surrounded by guys who play the same way – what do the Celtics turn into? They turn into a team that does not push the pace. They hold the ball a lot in the half court, which leads them to having to take a lot of really difficult isolation shots. And when those shots go in, it looks really good. And the Celtics look great. And when they don't go in, the Celtics look terrible on offense and they can't score. And that's why they're off. I don't remember where their offense is right now. I haven't looked it up, but it's somewhere in the twenties. And, you know, they've got a really good defense because they've got a lot, a lot of long athletic guys and they've got a pretty bad offense because they don't have a lot of shooting and they don't have a lot of, you know, ball movers. And, you know, to your point, Justin, if I was the Celtics, that would be what I'd be trying to do is, you know, everybody could say they need Lonzo Ball, right, or a player like Lonzo Ball. There's only so many of those guys. But, like, you know, if you look at what Ricky Rubio did with Cleveland this year, having a guy mm-hmm. who's a connector and a ball mover, like, those guys really help teams a lot. And – I think, you know, the Celtics have really never replaced Gordon Hayward, who was a guy who did that really well for them. Um, is a guy who obviously scores a lot, but was a really good passer, really good connector, would know how to catch, make a quick decision to move the ball. The Celtics just don't have a lot of quick decision guys on offense. And, and I think, you know, to your point, if I was them, that's something I'd really be trying to look to acquire to surround those guys with. Because I think it would not only make them better, but it would make everybody else around them better also. Let me ask you this. What do you there's been chatter about smart being moved or possibly being moved or the, the team would listen to deals about him being moved. Uh, you buying or selling those rumors. And what do you think of that possibility in the abstract? 
I mean, it's hard to know individually what's going to happen with guys because, you know, Brad Stevens has really never been through this before. Right. So we don't have yeah. a great sense of how aggressive he's going to be. Now he did come out two weeks after he got the job and trade Kemba Walker, which is probably not something Danny H would have done. And like, right. I give him credit for doing that. Right. He, he was aggressive. He saw an opportunity to shift things around and he did. And I think, you know, while giving up the 60th pick in the draft is not great. Um, I think when you look at what Boston's trying to do, I understand why he made that move. And I think it made sense for them. So um, it will be very interesting to see how the Celtics approach the next, what is it? 35 days, I guess. I mean, it's basically five weeks from today is the trade deadline. I think it's five weeks mm -hmm. from Thursday. So um, do they try to just stand pat and see what happens this summer? Do they look at a guy like Dennis Schroeder and say, can we send him somewhere and get a decent asset back? Or can we send him somewhere and get a different kind of player that fits our team back? Um, you know, do we try to buy and improve? Like, I'm not really sure um, what direction they're going to try to go. in? I think part of it's going to depend on what the overall trade market looks like. I'm not convinced there's going to be a super robust trade market at all, just because with so many teams being in the mix to make the playoffs now, there's a limited number of buyer or a limited number of sellers. And a lot of them don't have much to sell. Like the Orlando magic don't have a ton of stuff. That's that interesting to buy other than they're really young players who they're not going to trade. Right. right. The Thunder have Shea Gildas Alexander. He's great, but it's hard to see them trading him right now. Plus, he's got a poison pill in his contract. He signed an extension. Um, you know, the Rockets are terrible. They don't really have anybody that you want to get, right? So, like, if it's only the worst teams in the league who have stuff to trade, you look around and it's hard to see deals that make sense for anybody. So, um, that's a long-winded way of saying that I personally am really curious to see what the Celtics do over the next five weeks. And I think they fall into the same phylum as a lot of teams in the east new york atlanta indiana toronto washington charlotte even philly around ben simmons right like they all of these teams are okay to pretty good depending on what day you see them and they could either sell guys off and go this way or they could make moves to try to get better and go this way and i i think it's going to be really interesting to see how all of these teams approach the next month because i think it will dictate yeah i think if somebody takes a leap one way or the other i think it could have created a domino effect that then leads to other yeah. teams doing stuff and it's it's just hard to know right now how that's going to go like yesterday travis schlink goes on the radio in atlanta and blasts his team and says maybe i overestimate how good we're going to be right maybe i shouldn't have brought everybody back well that sounds like a guy who might want to move some pieces around they have a lot of guys they could trade so like that's the thing like it's just very hard right now to look at it and say Here's where I think things are going to go. Also, the other thing that I should mention is because of everything that's gone on with COVID over the past three weeks, like everybody in the league has sort of just been hanging out for dear life, trying to have a full roster every day. So yeah. some of the usual, all right, we're getting into early January, like what's going on in the trade market kind of stuff. I don't think has really happened in the same way it normally does because everybody's just been trying to fill out rosters and guys have COVID and guys have been out. So it's, I think some of that stuff is backed up further when you, you combine that with the play-in tournament and more teams being in mix now, um, I think it's sort of created a logjam that you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how teams approach it. Yeah, and for what it's worth, you know, the Celtics four-man core of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, and Marcus Smart, when they are on the floor together, has a net rating of fit plus 15, which is yep. among the best in the league. So it might yep. be as simple as the Celtics just 
getting healthy and getting back to their rotation. We'll see. I, I think the stuff that you said about the trade market is really interesting because where I'm kind of seeing things, it, I, I think you're right in saying that teams might be a little bit gun shy uh, for the big trade in this trade market, uh, just with the way that the league is currently set up with COVID absences and with the fact that all of these teams are kind of in a weird position where there's not a lot of sellers. But for right. the teams that are sellers, I do think that there are potentially some good role players that the Celtics could acquire for less than a Ben Simmons package, which sure. ultimately help them to address a lot of these issues. We can get and into that's later. yeah, and that's sort of and that's sort of like what your what your overall goal is to, to do, right? Like, is your goal to try to get a third? Like, if you can, can you find a third guy, or are you just trying to maneuver some of these pieces you have to maybe find guys that? stylistically slot in a little better than the guys you have, right? Or maybe, you you know, without naming any names, maybe you take one guy, trade him for a different guy, and the piece fits better, and yeah. the team plays better. Like that, that's another direction that you could definitely go. And that might be, frankly, that the more possible route for teams to go, because you might see a lot of teams not being very happy with their current mix and saying, well, maybe we need to switch it up a little bit. So maybe we trade my problem for your problem and see if it fixes things right like that you could maybe see that a lot but it it is going to be interesting because i i don't i don't have a good feel for what this trade market is going to look like um from an activity standpoint because generally there's like all right there's this big star name that's definitely going to get traded and then everything kind of trickles down from there but with the ben simmons thing being so uncertain and nobody else really being on the market it's kind of hard to look at it and say you know here's the clear line of how things are going to go i think it's pretty murky and it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like yeah, we said over the summer, it, it, there's a domino effect, whether it's Damian Lillard or the Pacers or Simmons, yeah. that might unlock some things, but it looks like everything's in a holding pattern. And I mean, Bontemps, to your point, Woj and Shams probably have carpal tunnel from typing out all the goddamn COVID reports. I mean, I, I can't imagine insane. the front offices are... Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, you're just talking to people. Yeah, you're talking to people. And it's just like, it's like we're having free agency in the middle of the regular season, right? Like teams right. are just scrambling around trying to find guys wherever they can find them and it's just a very chaotic time and so I, I do think that that's sort of backed up some of the normal trade stuff even further than it would have been um in a normal like you like you mentioned the Blazers the Blazers have been horrible this year right they're eight right. games under 500 their team is a mess Dame is hurt CJ's had a collapse long like everything has gone wrong they're a half a game out of 10 <laughs> like you know what I mean like they're not like it's not their season isn't over Right. In a normal year, even though, even though the West is way down now compared to where it normally is, their season might be over. Maybe they'd look at blowing up their team. But if they want to try to make a run and get in the play-in tournament, like there's no reason they couldn't beat the Lakers or the Clippers or no Kawhi or who right. any of you the know, Kings or the like the Timberwolves. They could make the playoffs still. So, you know, I, I don't think it's a fait accompli. They're just going to trade off, even if they don't trade Dame. Like, I don't think it's a fait accompli. They're going to blow up their team and trade all these expiring contracts they have for stuff. Because, like, they might think they can get to six. They're like three games out of six. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, just it's a, a very crazy time right now. Well, it's just a really healthy middle class. And to your point, people could trade middling contracts and see if shuffling the deck helps, or they might hold. Uh, and let's use that as a launch pad. Let's go into the Celtics lab. So I was going to ask, I was going to ask you this, but I'm going to leave it as a parenthetical for this entire conversation, which is, sure, can the Celtics contend should they try to contend and do the front office and the coaching staff agree on that? So that's 
an overarching parenthetical, but let's hop into the Celtics lab. And what we're going to do is we've each identified a problem facing parts of the Celtics. And we also have, because we want to be solution oriented, we also have solutions or opportunities. They might not pair A to A, B to B. Well, I will, I will only interrupt you to say that I appreciate you having solutions because generally uh, when people ask me questions, whether it's about a trade or something, it's, uh, it's sort of, it's sort of, giving you the answer without showing how you get to the answer, right? Yeah. It's like, well, the Celtics should trade for Kevin Durant. It's like, okay, well, how are they doing that? Right? I wish I had thought one, of that, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, you know, or that's always, that's always my thing with trade, when people cut me with trade. It's like, well, tell me why the teams are going to do this. Mm-hmm. Generally, it doesn't work that way. But anyway, I appreciate you having both problems and solutions, so I'm excited to hear them. Well, I mean... This isn't first stake, so we actually have to back up our hot takes. But um, <laughs> once we get that gig, then no more solutions. Just there you go. Just diagnosing problems. All right, uh, uh, Mr. Good Times, I'll go to you first. The biggest problem, or the most pressing problem, or the most interesting problem facing the Celtics starters. I'm just going to say it's the the Celtics team as a whole, and it's what I've said a few times on the podcast. Their offense isn't good enough because they just are a very bad passing team. They just don't. They don't move the ball very well and they don't play fast. Um, you know, like right now, the Celtics are seventh. They're tied for sixth in the league in offense going into Wednesday night's games or defense, I should say. Mm-hmm. And they're 22nd in offense, right? Like that's just not going to be that. That's basically averages out to being around 15th, right? Which is right. about a 500 team. And coming into this season, I thought the Celtics had a chance to be a top 10 defense or maybe even top five, which they have been. They've been really good at that end of the court. And I thought the difference between them being really good or being mediocre would be whether their offense was pretty good or bad. And for the most part, it's been bad. Now you can argue that's because they've had injuries and COVID and which obviously is a problem, but look across the league, virtually everybody has had injuries and COVID and stuff happened to them. Right. Right. So I don't think you can really say that, well, the Celtics have just been bombarded by injuries and therefore they and absences. And therefore that's why their offense isn't bad. So to me, that is their biggest problem. When you look at their team, they play slow offensively, they hold the ball offensively, and they don't get easy shots. And so to me, as you know, we've talked about it a bunch, I won't say any more than this, but they need to go into, to me, if they want to try to take a step forward in this season, they need to be looking over the next five weeks at how can we improve our passing and improve our pace and improve our ability to get clean, open looks for our guys because that's how our offense is going to get better. And that's how our team is going to be able to improve because the defense is really good. So if you can just get the offense from 22nd to 13th or 14th, that's a team that's a 45 to 51 team. And that's a pretty good team. It's not a contending team or a championship contending team, but it's a team that can win around in the playoffs and take a step forward. And then maybe you go, all right, now we have to do some more work to try to take another step. But if they don't get out of the twenties offensively, you know, maybe they don't even make it out of the plane. Maybe they don't make the plane at all. So I, I think that's the, that's the challenge over the next few weeks is are there areas where they can shuffle the roster to improve that? And if they improve that, I think it'll improve a lot of other things. Well, Alex, your number one problem plaguing the starters. 
Well, it's related to the problems that uh, Tim just laid out, but I think I wanted to get a little bit more granular and examine some kind of specific trends that I'm noticing that are hampering the Celtics starters. And the big one that stands out to me is that Al Horford and Marcus Smart's outside shooting mm -hmm. has been a real problem for this unit. I mean, you could just say the Celtics shooting as a whole, I think, and you'd be good. I mean, it, they're I mean, that it is fair that they've had just some unnaturally bad shooting luck throughout the year too. Like I think some of that's because they don't move the ball well, but man, they, they miss a lot of open shots. That game against the, that game against the Clippers is the best example. I mean, <laughs> we were sitting there. I think people went a little too crazy about that game because sometimes you have bad shooting nights, but my God, like the, the fourth quarter of that game, every single shot they got was completely wide open and they missed yeah. all of them. It was just, it was wild. We were laughing about it, watching it. We we're just like, this is incredible that, they just can't make a single open shot. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, no, it's uh, all good. And I, I but I, I think it it adds important clarity to kind of uh, the general statistical trend and the kind of problem with some of the Celtics' floor balance, which might explain some of uh, kind of why these shots are not falling. So right now, Marcus Smart and Al Horford are both shooting under three hundred percent from deep for the season. Uh, the same is, of course, true of Robert Williams, who doesn't really take threes. So you've got, on the whole, three guys on the floor in Al, Marcus, and Rob, who, as at least as they are right now, are just not good, reliable outside shot threats. Uh, that makes the floor spacing really tight for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who are also not shooting great from outside. But even so, both of them are considerably more threatening as outside shooters than Marcus, Al, or Rob. And I guess this gets to a kind of challenge with this starting unit is that you want to have Al, Rob, and Marcus out there in large part because all three of them represent among the best defenders on the team. And the Celtics have kind of hung their hat on the defensive end this year. But having three guys on the floor in your starting lineup, particularly when you're kind of trying to start off games with good tempo and pace, having three guys in your starting lineup who are shooting under 300 for the season can make that a really challenging thing. So that would be my most pressing starter problem. Fantastic. Justin. Well, I kind of get the feeling that we are, there's a parable about a bunch of blind men and an elephant, and they're all trying to describe the elephant. And <laughs> this is why I go to table setting on the lack of one on the Celtics, because again, if you're giving the ball to people who regularly don't do anything with it besides shoot it, and they don't shoot it well, then you're going to have problems. So we, we really need to see, in my opinion, something structural to change here. Because if you remember at the, the start of the Ime Udoka experience and his first presser being introduced, he made fun of the previous iteration of the team for being, I think, 27th last season in the league for assists. And they have improved to 22nd in the league in assists, <laughs> which is, you know, not really what we're looking for. Yeah, Bontem, so I loved your example of Rubio. I, I, when you were talking before, I was thinking, yeah, Connolly or Chris Paul, the way that they changed their respective teams. But those are really heady not gettable guys, but Rubio is the kind of guy that does change your culture and he's not, you know, a perennial all NBA player. So yeah, JQ, uh, whatever part of the elephant you just described, you described it perfectly for me. Um, I'll do mine quickly, which is, and I've said this before, the Celtics suck at starting games and they suck at closing games. Net rating, you know, the most perfect immaculate NBA stat there is. The Celtics are 20th in first quarter net rating 
Then they go to 10th in the second quarter, ninth in the third quarter, and then 24th in the fourth quarter. So I don't know if it comes from the coach. I don't know if it comes from the, the starters and leadership, but they start down 10 points by like eight minutes into the game. And then they, they stink in the fourth and whatever it needs to change there to uh, switch that trend. I'm not sure, but that's something that I think the starters in particular, because they start in closed games need to figure out. So let's, uh, let's go to the coaches and let's talk about things that they might find problematic. Bontemps, what's the number one most problematic thing you're seeing from the Celtics coaching regime? I mean, I don't think there's anything they really have done that's that bad, honestly. Like, like I said, the, the Celtics sort of are exactly what I thought they were going to be. They're sure. a really good defensive team that's up and down on offense. Like, they were given a roster of guys who don't really pass, so they struggle to pass. You know, I mean, Ime Udoka, like every single coach that's ever been hired, came in and said his team was going to play faster and move the ball more, right? This is like, it's like saying, it's like NFL coaches saying they're going to be more aggressive than the last guy. It's literally mm-hmm. what every coach ever says. And I'm not making fun of him. That's just like, you go watch any press conference for a new coach. They all say we're going to move the ball. We're all going to, we're going to play fast. We're going to play hard on deep, whatever. It's the same stuff everybody says. I guess if you want to say the Celtics have not done that, that's fair, right? They have not played faster. They have not moved the ball that well. But again, I just look at the roster and I go, all right, like you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole with that. Like at some point, you just don't have the players that are going to perform that way. So you have to kind of do it differently. So I don't, I don't think he's like, I wouldn't say he's been the greatest coach of all time. I also don't think he's really done anything that bad. I think he's been fine. I just think the Celtics sort of are, you know, like I, I, I mean, I guess I should ask you guys, you really passionately follow the team. Are any of you really surprised with what the team has looked like, or is this sort of right about, I mean, maybe they'd be, they, they certainly could be better than they are record wise, but like, it's not like anybody's dumbfounded by the way they played really. Right. Uh, I'll push back on that. Actually, I uh, chestily, I said that they could get to second or third, which, you know, I was, I was dreaming, but I did hope that Udoka kind of brought that Spurs mentality. I mean, everyone's trying to recreate the Spurs and you can't just do that. But I was hoping for a lot more of pass happy basketball and I'll, I'll go. Mine is that I think the Celtics have too long of a leash right now. I haven't seen Udoka. I mean, we hear a lot after wins of, yeah, we had this great video session or Udoka, the coach talked to me and I did this, but in game, I'm not seeing those adjustments in the same way of you're doing it wrong. Two minutes in stop and do it right. And not everyone can do that. Maybe that's not Udoka's style. I'm sure easier said than done. You don't want to lose the locker room, but right. The number of interventions or moments where I wished for interventions, I, I think that that could change. And so at the end of the day, Bontemps, you're right. I mean, this was, never going to be a fantastic team. It maybe could have been a pretty good team, but I am at times disappointed in what they're allowed to fall back on. I do think you're, I do think you were fair to think they could be a top in the East. If together, right. Like I do, if you're a top five defense and you're a 10 to 15 offense, like that's a team that's going to win around 50 games and can have home court. Right. Like sure. that's a good team. Um, so I, I, I don't think that's unfair. I also just think like, for as much as you can say, I want my team to play this way. If you have a team full of guys that are not really capable of playing that way, like 
I don't think Greg Popovich, if he came to coach the Celtics, would have the Celtics playing the way that like Tim yeah. Duncan, Montaginobi, Tony Parker, Spurs did. Like, you know, I that's the thing. Like, I just they just kind of are what they are, and sure. they need they need to be. They have. I will say to your point, they have not been good enough at those things to maximize what they can be, which I think is fair. I'm also just not sure if, like, say if Brad was coaching the team again. Like they were a 500 team last year, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not so sure they're not just kind of a 500 that's slightly better than 500 teams sort of regardless of who the coach is. Yeah. And to your point earlier, a few lucky breaks on bad shooting nights, a few lucky breaks and injuries and right. a few games above. You don't, well, you don't, right. You don't, you don't have some crazy collapses like that Bulls game. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of the other game where they blew a big lead. There's, there's been a couple of games. They blew big leads. Like, you know, they've had some, they've had some weird stuff go on. Like they're what, 18 and 19. They could easily be 21 and 16 and things look way different. Right. Then they're like tied for fifth with like Cleveland and Miami and Philly. There are a couple of games behind my Milwaukee and those teams. Like it's still early enough in the season that you change a couple of results and things look far different. And that was why getting through December the way they did was such a big thing, because if they come back into in January and go, 10 and five against a pretty soft schedule, all of a sudden you're back over 500 and you know, some of these other teams maybe falter like Miami's had a ton of injuries Now Jimmy's out. Bam is still out. Like, you know, a month from now, things could look a lot different and maybe they're sitting in sixth place and they're three games back of third and they could still get to the places that before the season you thought they could get to. Sure. Uh, Alex and Justin, you have a few much more specific critiques of coaching than uh, Tim or I had. Do you want to share those? I'm happy to jump in. And I will say, you know, as the kind of foremost Ime Udoka defender, I'm happy to hear Are you? conversation is going. I, I've been at war on Twitter. I don't know if you've noticed. Yes, so I've seen I'm, pr- I'm proud of you. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's a lot Good of fans who are more upset with Ime than I am. I think Ime is doing fine, uh, largely. For well, a, this, is, this is another one of those things where it's like, people love to scream about the coach. Right. And it's like, the coach is terrible. And it's like, okay, what do you want the coach to do? Like, tell me, tell me, well, he needs to have them make more shots. All right. The coach can't really do that. You know, coaching isn't why they missed all those shots in the Clipper game. That is fair, Tim. I think there is one thing that Ime could do a little more of that I would like to see, both as just a fan of this player and for the effect that he's kind of brought when he's been there. I do think it's time to give Grant Williams de facto starter minutes for this team. Every time that he's on the court, it seems like he adds a kind of burst of energy. His corner three-point shooting has been absurd this year, and he's really provided some important floor spacing. Uh, But even more so than that, In the game against Phoenix, I thought Grant really impressed me with just kind of how active he was on the floor. Um, I think in general, he just kind of comes in and makes stuff happen. And it isn't always pretty, but uh, I've really been impressed. So if I have one kind of gentle suggestion to Ime Doka, who again, I think is doing a pretty good job, uh, it would be that maybe give a little bit of a longer leash to Grant Williams, who I think has really made some good stuff happen. I will say really quickly, I totally agree. I think if you want to look at one structural thing the Celtics could do to go back to, they need guys that don't need the ball and are connectors and ball movers. Grant Williams is that kind of player, right? Mm -hmm. He might be the smartest player in the league. Forget like basketball stuff. He's an incredibly smart guy. He's lost a bunch of weight. He's in way better shape. He's gotten a lot faster as a result. His shooting has gone way up. And 
like you said, if you don't have the two bigs out there and you have one of them with Grant at the four, I like that look overall personally better. And even if you don't necessarily start that way, especially since a lot of teams still start big, I would like to see that group out there maybe closing games more. Like you go back to that Clipper game, they're four for 42. Grant Williams was two for three from three or two for something, right? Yeah. Like they, on a team that doesn't have a lot of shooters and that doesn't have a lot of guys that are not, that don't hold the ball, he plays a very good role for them. And he's been really good. So yeah, I, I like that suggestion a lot for them. So let me jump in. I'm just going to kind of mush a bunch of stuff together because it's kind of unavoidable. I, like the one thing that has really been sticking with me in this conversation is the structure. And, you know, I'm a structuralist in my academic life. Uh, I, I like how the material combination of things creates synergistic effects. And we are seeing a distinct lack of that. And it's not by accident. We have, you know, too many players who can shoot playing because they're veterans and they kind of deserve and have earned the right, at least in the short term, to, to get more playing time than they probably deserve, even though we kind of knew that this was going to work out like this, even considering the two-man, two-big-man lineup has been working better than, you know, previous iterations in Boston of that issue. And so when I see this, I, I look to the front office just to jump ahead a little bit rather than rehashing some of the same stuff that we've been talking about through a different part of the so-called proverbial elephant that we have kind of like two things for the front office to do here and they can kind of do both at the same time uh, but really they need to have an eye to the future uh, and when I say that I mean Jalen Brown's future because he's he's next up on the docket and he seems to be pretty happy but I mean, he's also talking about, you know, how he's very relieved that they won a game because the Orlando mm -hmm. media would have been really hell for him, basically, had they lost. And he's not wrong, you know? I mean, at, what, at some point, they're going to hit this wall of just being sick of dealing with it. Even as much as someone as Jalen Brown seems to love being in Boston, they do need to, to, to make some decisions on what directions they're going to do or go in and for me, that means something about perfection being the enemy of the good. Yeah. When I say that, I've said that before on this podcast. When I say that, I mean, at the deadline, if they can get a Ben Simmons on the roster, that's fantastic. Let's do it. You know, as long as it doesn't mean de dealing away one of the Jays, as much as it pains me to think about Rob or Smart playing someplace else, I understand it. The alternative is a real risk of seeing Jalen Brown playing someplace else. My biggest complaint has been letting talent walk out the door before you have a chance to move it. And I really don't want to be in a position where we have to think about whether trading Jalen Brown is the smart move before he leaves in free agency. So if they can't get the right kind of trade target lined up at the deadline, they do need to get these table setters, these connectors, these people who move well without the ball to keep using your phraseology there. I think that's the absolute most critical thing that the front office needs to do. So Justin, that's a great segue, uh, seg sunsetting the problems portion and moving on to solutions. And I'm going to skip over the bench and the front office problems because A, this whole podcast has been <laughs> front office problems. And B, I think the bench, we don't know because it's it's probably a few too many guys. So we don't really know what the bench is anyways. So let's end on a happy, positive, productive note and highlight some solutions that are either reasonable for the Celtics, small changes or big changes. So Bontemps, uh, I'll give you starters or bench. What's the most actionable, meaningful improvement that the Celtics players could make short-term? 
I mean, certainly, you know, the things we've talked about playing faster, you know, moving the ball more would certainly help. I do like Alex's suggestion of getting Grant Williams more consistent minutes. I also think they should play Creighton Pritchard more. And obviously he went into the health and safety protocol, so he's going to be out for a bit now. But he's another guy who doesn't need the ball in the same way that some of these other guys do, right? He's more of a spot-up shooter and defender, and he's not going to necessarily hold it in the same way. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing him get some more um, minutes too going forward. But, you know, some of it just comes down to making shots. Like Aaron Neesmith, every chance he's gotten to play this year has made no shots. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that would certainly help. Um, but, yeah, I do think, you know, I, I would like to see them play a little small, play smaller a little more often. Um, and, and get Grant out there with the starters. I think if they did that, I, I think that would be a pretty um, – to, to steal Alex's idea, I think if they did that more, I do think it would uh, help them out a lot. Cool. Alex, you have a different idea written down? You want to share it? Uh, I do, and there I, I have two ideas that are kind of really the same idea, but I do think that there's something to having Rob and Al kind of be the lone centers out there and staggering minutes as much as possible between mm-hmm. those two guys, and then running inverted pick and rolls for them. So one thing that I noticed in the Phoenix game that really unlocked the Celtics offense was that they ran a lot of sets where they had Rob at the nails or at the elbows and had people cutting off of him and then he was passing to them under the rim or out to the corner for layups, threes, things like that. I feel like in in the absence of a true uh, ball mover glue guy that we've kind of been talking about is the missing piece for this team. One thing that the Celtics can kind of try to do to get a few more assists out of this offense, and this is a suggestion for kind of the bench and the starters, is they just need to cut off balls so much more. There's so many situations where you see like Romeo Langford is standing in the corner, Jalen Brown is standing at the top of the wing, and Jason Tatum is standing in the other corner, and one guy dribbles and then tries to either drive in and kick or uh, create something for themselves. And that offense gets really stagnant. I would love to see some off-ball cutting, particularly playing the centers in kind of inverted pick and roll situations where they're at the elbows, where they're at the nail, where they're at, you know, kind of higher parts of the floor, a little further away from the rim. And then having some of the Celtics athletic finishers, your Romeo Langford's, your Jalen Browns, having some of those guys just cut to the basket and try and make something happen that way. Yeah. I mean, I, that's Spurs basketball as best I can tell. Justin, what about you? For me, however it ends up happening, they need to play the young guys. They need to find out what they have because as we have pointed out probably too many times already, they don't have a lot to work with to get the kind of players they need to get on board. And they need to be making all the moves that they make with the idea of building the talent level back up in the same kind of a way where, you know, like Danny Ainge snuck a genie's move out of Isaiah Thomas trading for him. Clearly they're not going to hit that kind of a home run again anytime soon without a lot of luck, but that's the kind of thing they need to be trying, like just a lot of small moves around the margins, see what happens, maybe cycle guys through the, through 10 day contracts in a two way spot. Uh, If we can't get those two way guys who are on the roster now, on the floor in this kind of situation, why do we have them? So like, that's the kind of mentality I want to see just like more aggressive minor moves building towards a major one this summer. Yeah. And the inverse of that, I, Brian Robb has said, friend of the pod, just cut Jabari and 
and his freedom so that uh, Udoka is not tempted. Um, shorten, shorten the rotation just a little bit. Uh, for the starters, this is Jason Tatum's up to six free throws a game. He is among the most potent fourth quarter scoring threats out there. Six is good, but it's not, you know, top of the line. I would love for Jason to just get a little more aggressive taking it to the rim and just like unlock his game a little, little bit. And um, I'm going to use that. I'm just going to keep talking for a second because my coaching solution is to start the fourth with Tatum on the bench, let Jalen get his fourth quarter touches and minutes and flow, and then bring in Tatum so that there isn't this, again, I love saying that they're um, T-Mac and Vince Carter, but sometimes that didn't work great down the stretch because there was a little your turn, my turn. So being judicious with the fourth between the Jays, I think structurally you can work that out really well. Uh, Bontemps, any other on the court solutions that you think the Celtics should consider? No, I mean, we've th- I think we've covered everything, but I haven't heard the T-Mac and Vince thing with those guys. That's an interesting comp. I, I think that's, uh, I-, I think that's interesting. It brings me a lot of joy to think about, but then I think about what happened to that. I suppose that's also, I suppose that's also true. Yes. I suppose that's also true. Uh, Alex or Justin, any other on the court changes you'd like to see? Yeah. I mean, we, we covered a lot. This was, this Pretty was cathartic. Much. All right. Uh, and then, Let's leave it there because the parenthetical of should this team contend, I think we'll find out in January as we established. And I think that the trade deadline will tell us everything we need to know about what the front office thinks. And I think Mr. Bontemps, you are welcome on to this podcast to discuss anytime you'd like. So uh, he writes all of the obituaries for ESPN. Tim, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim, really, truly, thank you so much for your time. This is great. No, I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the new year brings some uh, more fun, uh, times for your Celtics. I know it hasn't been the most uh, enjoyable year and a half or so to be a fan of the team, but you know, yeah, we, it also isn't that, that. It also, as Joe Johnson once famously said about Brooklyn, it's not that bad here. Uh, when I was covering the Nets, <laughs> when you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I will say to Celtics fans, it isn't that bad here. Even still, despite the frustrations, there's a lot of teams in the league with trade being in the spot that the Celtics are in with those two guys. It's going to take some work to get back to where they're used to being, but. You know, it's a good place to be. That might be the name of the podcast episode. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Go like and subscribe. Thanks to betonline.ag for being the presenting sponsor of this podcast. And thanks again, Mr. Bontemps. Thank you.